1: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about dueling games. We're talking about games that's mono y mano, one-on-one. I've got my monsters, I've got my fighter, you've got yours, and we're going at it, going head-to-head. And we're talking to Brad Tauton from Level 99 Games. Brad, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, man, I'm excited to, to talk to you about this because you have so many games in your lineup and so many games you have worked on and designed personally that are these dueling games? These kind of, you know, I've got my my guy and I'm going to take your guy down, kind of thing. Or I got my little army of of pixel warriors, and so I'm excited mm-hmm. to kind of talk to you about how, like what goes into making these games. But real quick, maybe someone's never heard of you. Maybe they never heard of Level Ninety Nine. How'd you get into games? Getting the game design, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, something that I've always been really interested in. I played a lot of Magic and a lot of Yu Gi Oh back in the day, and a bunch of other CCGs um, back in the early 2000s when CCGs were were all the rage. Uh, after that, I went on to do some of the LCGs, the fantasy flight games. Um, played a, a bit of, uh, you know, just abstract strategy games, a lot of chess and uh, and the uh, Stratego, those sorts of things as a kid. And so uh, head-to-head games are something that I've always really enjoyed. It's something that me and my friends have always played. So um, it's something that I thought, oh, I could I could make something like that. So there there you go. And I designed a game. My first game was called Battlecon. It's a head-to-head fighting card game, kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, Follow that up with a more traditional uh, style game, Pixel Tactics, which is you control a whole army of characters. And then following that up with a game called Exceed, which is a more LCG card game style of fighting card game. So those are sort of the, the dueling games in my lineup. Got a few other two-player games like uh, Noir, Killer vs Inspector, which you may have heard of. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see, a couple others, a couple old ones, Disc Duelers.
1: Um, Anyway, Uh, Cell Swords I think comes to mind.
2: Yeah, Cell Swords. Cell Swords is not my design; it's Mm -hmm. my publication. But uh, but that was done by an outside designer. But I do I do pick up occasional games, two-player games that I enjoy. So we have a big focus on two-player games at Level 99 Games. And if you are in a gaming group of two, or if you are the kind of person who has friends who get together and play tournament-style games where you play a bunch of small 1v1 games uh, in company, then check out some of ours. You might enjoy them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think this is actually a, a way that a lot of people get into the hobby, especially through Magic. And and that's how you know I started playing Magic in college, and just me and some friends, and we'd play one-on-one. Because, I mean, team, like two versus two in Magic, it's okay. It's just not how the game's meant to be played. And so I think a lot of people come into the hobby with this style Of game, But before we get into that, tell me about Level 99. How did that kind of get started as a company? How did you get into that?
2: Oh, well, um, I've always been designing games, kind of in my spare time as a hobby. I'm trained as a computer scientist, so I did uh, programming. I mainly developed iOS apps back in the uh, 2010s. And then uh, the big uh, recession hit, I ended up going freelance doing contract work. And about that time, the Kickstarter boom started. And I looked at all the games that were doing, that were the board games that were being made on Kickstarter, and I was like, well, I can try that. What have I got to lose? So I put Battlecon, my first game, up on Kickstarter, and it funded, and uh, the rest is history from there.
1: Yeah, gotcha. And you've just kind of built up this this brand, this company since then. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: man. yeah. After uh, after a few years, it became my full-time job. So now I run Level 99 Games, and we got about uh, I guess about eight people that work on our projects every single day.
1: Yeah, very cool. I'm excited to talk to you more about the, the company stuff in the bonus round. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But real quick, let's talk about what makes a good dueling game. What what makes one of these types of games a good one? Because there's a million of them out there. And so like, what separates the, the average, mm-hmm. the mediocre, or the bad from the great ones?
2: Well, I would say that a good dueling game allows you to express your play style through the movement of the character's the strategies that occur on the board, and the the way you choose to pursue victory. So, in a in a in one of these kind of games, and to give an example of the sort of games that we're talking about, um, we're talking about two P, one v one games specifically. Are we talking specifically? There's kind of two classes of these, right? There's mm-hmm. your um, magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, Mage Wars, that style of game where you are controlling a bunch of creatures, she maybe not Mage Wars, but uh, like the game where you're controlling a bunch of creatures, and you're battling it out with the enemy, and they're just kind of this nebulous force over there, and they have life points. And then there's the other games, which are like Battlecon, Exceed, let's see, Yomi, uh, Flash Duel, uh, Mage Wars is kind of an example, Summoner Wars is kind of an example, where you have one central piece, where the chess style, where you have one piece on the board that's your character, and you're trying to use all the other resources at your disposal to defend and control that, that one character. So there's kind of a, that divide on, uh, in, this, in this genre. Is it games where you control a lot of point, a lot of points of control or games where you are one character and you are taking on that one avatar? Um, we've done a little bit of both, but most of our games tend to favor on the side of, of games where you control an avatar. And for those games, yeah, giving the players a lot of uh, giving players an avatar that can express a lot of different strategies that can be the kind of character that they almost role play uh, for a, for a time is what players I think look for in that kind of a, in that kind of a fighting style game, a one v one head to head game where I can choose my character and be that character. You know, it's very much the same thing that people like in games like MOBAs, for example. You choose a, you choose a hero, and that champion is is your champion, and that's who you are for for that game. So, and then each one, of course, has their own different uh, different sort of strategies they can use in their own way to you know, take control of the battle and uh, lead the rest of their teammates to victory.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point. Is People being able to relate to the character that they're playing, whether they like man, you know, some people really like speed and they like speed characters, and I just want to get out there and I don't care about doing a bunch of damage, I just want to do it as fast as I can. Or I had a good friend in college and yeah. all of the stuff he built up like with magic were these giant creatures that took twelve turns to get out on the board, but and he didn't even care about winning. He just wanted these giant things out there and see if he could pull things off. And that's just kind of how what he related mm-hmm. to. And so are you finding the same kind of things like when people come up to you and talk about BattleCon or something they're like, oh, I love this character because he's, you know, I like just being this kind of style and all that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Some people like it for the personality. Some people like it for the strategy style. Some people like it for, you know, maybe even one or two specific moves that are really hard to pull off that. You know that have huge payoffs. It's uh, and you can read the uh, the design articles for Magic, and you can find a lot of you can use a lot of their research on why people play this game. That applies to really to all these kinds of games. Um, with creating a game itself, the real challenge is to create a system where many different kinds of strategy can be expressed without being redundant. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like in Battle Kong, we have a, a board and players can move back and forth. It's a one-dimensional board. So you're either further to the left of your opponent, further to the right. Um, and But we, we use that board in a lot of different ways. Some characters can place down wormholes, which will make the board extend. Some players will set down turrets that can attack from different angles on the board. One player can summon zombies and they just kind of swarm the whole board. Um, another character has a trap that they set down, and when you step on the trap, uh, it freezes you in place. Another character has different traps, and when you step on these traps, they do damage and then rearrange the board in different ways, so you never quite know where you're going to end up. So being able to use that tool that you've, that you've created in the game in a bunch of different situations to create a bunch of different strategic play styles, that is the real uh, goal and challenge of designing a good two-player game.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, let's back up just for a second. Let's talk about, you, you mentioned Avatar-style games. That's kind of what you guys focus on. Why, why did you travel down that route? Was there something about it that you were just more uh, attracted to, or, or what? Uh, so
2: I'm a big fan of fighting games, like Street Fighter, um, you know, Mortal Kombat, uh, Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue, And so that was the kind of game that, that's the kind of video game that I play a lot with my friends. So it's the kind of game, uh, kind of the style of game that I know the best. So I decided that that was what I was going to try and put together for you know for my first board game.
1: Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the genesis of that idea for Battlecon. Like, were you sitting there playing Street Fighter and you're like, I really love this, but I would love to do this with cards.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> so to give you some background on Battlecon, in the Battlecon system, it's called Battle Connection. Uh, it's Battlecon short for that. Battle Connection because you take two cards, you connect them together, and that creates your attack. Right there are bases which are the cards everybody has like your punch your kick your throw there are styles which are unique to your character and i was sitting there playing game of blaze blue one day and i was doing just some basic attacks and i was like well you know everybody's using the same buttons everybody's got the same basic attacks and they have the same kind of functionality but everyone does them a little bit different and that makes for a like an interesting board game. If you can take these kind of foundational tactics that everybody has access to and then you can kind of twist them in your character's own unique way attach on some kind of unique mechanic that this character has that nobody else has seen before then you can make a really interesting fighting game character and so I decided to try it out that was sort of the genesis of BattleCon I'd wanted to make the fighting game for uh, like the fighting card game for many years but that was kind of where it clicked for me and I saw that two card combination, and i said well that that might be the unique thing that uh that makes this game really stand out
1: yeah, and so was that idea the first idea like the, having the two cards come together, was that the first route you traveled down and just worked really well, or did you have other ideas that just didn't work
2: Well, there's a bit that i had I had other ideas that just didn't work. We actually had um a like a system of combos where you chain a bunch of cards together um we had like high, medium, low attack zones. In the end, we settled on this matrix of range, determine where your attack hits, power, how much damage you do, priority, uh, how quickly you attack, and guard, which is resistance to getting your attack stunned out. And then uh, there's sort of a sequence, which uh, I guess my programming background shows here, where you know the person with higher priority does their attack, they hit the opponent. If they hit the opponent and the opponent does not uh, have enough guard, they get stunned. If they, uh, if the opponent then and then the opponent's turn starts and then with lower priority, if they're uh, were not stunned, then they get to counterattack, check their range, do their effects to the opponent, and then there's some uh, some in in phase stuff and recycling. Like your cards go to, to go on cooldown, sort of like uh, I guess sort of like MMO type skill bar attacks. They it takes two turns to get back whatever kind of attack you use. So that's the. Uh, the basics of, of Battlecon. And yeah, there are a lot of mechanics in it, but that style-based thing, I think, is what's most characteristic about the game.
1: Yeah, that's the, the yeah. core that was kind of, mechanism. That was
2: kind of where the matrix became more than just, do I know all the cards in your deck or not? Like, there was actually a little bit more play to it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And now, when you first started out, did you just have some vanilla fighters, or did you jump right in with special abilities and stuff like that at, right mm-hmm. at the beginning?
2: Definitely more vanilla fighters. Yeah. We did a very very basic proof of concept test to see how the game worked out. And then once we had an idea of the kind of potential that existed within the game, we started creating characters with more diverse abilities. And if you look at the second Battlecon game, Devastation, you'll see that like once we actually played the game and saw the fir- how the first game worked and what the meta was like and what kind of abilities worked and what kind of abilities players wanted more of, we expanded the space quite a bit Created a lot of new abilities that were uh, much more diverse than the base game, the basic game's abilities.
1: Yeah, a lot of people I've talked to who have made made games that were a system, and then they kind of added to and all these things. And then, like you're talking about with oh, Battlecon, or, there's lots of different games you can build a system for. At first, they talk about yeah, make sure the system works first, and then start adding the the differences and the abilities and the other stuff because one. Mm-hmm. You don't, if something breaks, you don't really know why it broke if you have all these extra things going on. And so, like, just do a vanilla, very bland general system at first and then add to it after that. Did you ever, like, get out in front of yourself? Oh, I really want to add all these extra things. And it just kind of became too
2: much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I planned, like, all kinds of characters. And then, uh, and, and, yeah, you plan all kinds of characters. You really shouldn't make too complex a character before you get deep into the, the system working. And, You know, I'll do like 20 versions of a system when I'm designing a game. Mm -hmm. It took me about uh, 20 versions to make Exceed, which was the spiritual successor to Battlecon. And then the characters generally only take three or four passes to get the characters right. Once you have a solid system in place, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But getting your system solid and making sure that that works, that can take quite a lot of work.
1: Yeah. To, to get through. Now any advice on on making those systems? Any tips or tricks or, or things we could learn maybe from your failures that we we'll, that listeners yeah, yeah. wouldn't have to make the same mistakes.
2: Well, in it, the foundation of any system of any any combat system is going to be this dynamic circle. But let's let's start a little lower, right? So in the beginning all is chaos. Every every game at the highest skill level comes down to whether or not you know, it comes down to a coin toss. If players are equally skilled, if one player is more skilled, then that player should should win. If uh, uh, the players are equally skilled, it comes down to who ate their Wheaties this morning. <laughs> time and chance, you know, conquers us all. Right. So, what can you do to build up a coin flip? Right. So, uh, the next step up from a coin flip is rock paper scissors. Your dynamic circle. You know, uh, rock beats beats scissors. Scissors beats paper. Paper beats rock. Now you have choices. The players make a choice, but the choice is still ultimately arbitrary. You and your opponent both make a choice that goes into some matrix. And then the matrix spits out a result. So how do you make that more interesting? Well, you build up around that with other factors. The payoffs are different for each different choice. There are more than three choices. Maybe you expand to 5, to 7, to 35, however many choices you can get. Um, you build a matrix so that each of those choices has uh, advantages and disadvantages it has things that it beats it has things that it will lose against and it has some payout so maybe a move is very narrow it only works in a very small window of times but it offers an immense payout so you're incentivized to try and drive your opponent to you know into those situations where you can use the move so that's then so now you've got this rock paper scissors system and then you duplicate that into different situations so at this range the matrix looks like this at this you know when i have my full power bar the matrix looks like this when my opponent is um you know has a couple of their cards on cooldowns the matrix looks like this and so now you've kind of taken this one simple decision wheel and built it up and built it up and then duplicated it into a bunch of different situations and now you have a real game-like system because players are looking at it and they're like, "Well, what's the situation I'm in? What's the optimal move? What's my opponent's optimal move?" You can start thinking about all these things, and it's not just the same, uh, the same system or the same choice over and over again. So that would be my uh, like the basic philosophy of creating a a head-to-head or zero-sum game is you know start with your coin flip, build up. And then iterate and duplicate and build on uh, more and more, and so eventually, yeah, get a complex system.
1: Yeah, and what I love about this kind of system is that no matter the skill level, it still rewards players, right? And so, like, you can't solve a game necessarily because even like the better you get at it, then you get into the whole like, okay, I'm really good at this game. My opponent's really good. And so this is the most optimal play, but they know that this is the most optimal play, and they know that I know. And then you like get in this really interesting meta kind of mind match mm-hmm. of like, okay, you think I'm going to play this because that makes the most sense, but I'm going to play this other thing. And so it, it kind of rewards novice level play of of figuring the game out, but then also you get into this deeper kind of head game as you get better and better. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that is comes to an, another point in this game where – you have to think as a designer about the management of information, because if you allow full information in the game, there is some player out there that will memorize all the matrices and every variation of every matrix for every set of players, right. uh, or set of set of of combat combatants. So, and we do have players like that, and that is um, part of. You know, even chess is got any mo- any system with a finite number of moves and full information is solvable. Mm-hmm. So even chess is is mathematically solvable. Um, and so Battlecon is as well because it's a full information game. So um, to offset that in the spiritual successor to the game, Exceed, uh I decided to introduce a deck of cards. So Exceed plays on a similar matrix, but it uses a card deck. And so you understand what your opponent's capable of, In the global sense, but you don't know what they're capable of at this moment. And so sometimes a move which is mathematically wrong, or you know, like like wrong in an absolute sense, can be right in a local sense. It gives the players the opportunity to play their gut, or to make a last-ditch effort, or to try something desperate, uh, knowing that the chances of success are low, but maybe it'll work out. And um, that element of Letting player of uh, more analysis is something that has a that doesn't have a skill cap in the way that information uh, study does. You know, players can when you, when your game is full information, players can make the right decision. There is an absolute right decision. Yeah. When information is obfuscated, there there's a statistically right decision, but it's not. There's no not an absolute right and wrong anymore. And so, I would say that creating that situation. Uh, where there's a where players can you know can play their gut or can play the odds to make that decision makes for a more interesting gameplay on the whole.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why poker is still such a popular game because it gives you so many opportunities to kind of do what you're saying. I'm gonna play the odds. I know in my head I have a seventy one percent chance of winning but my gut says that that other guy is beating me right now and I'm going to fold. And you like get these really interesting decisions and if you can recreate that in a dueling game head-to-head game, I think you've created something really cool. Now with Exceed, did you how much of Exceed was just taking like all of the organized play and like different playtesting and just years of information and going, "Okay, now what do we do next?" Or or like where did it where did Exceed kind of come from? Well, so
2: originally it was Battlecon 2. Yeah. And because I, I, I liked Battlecon and everybody liked, well, I wouldn't say everybody, but Battlecon was the most popular game that, that I made and had a really big following. And I really liked Battlecon, but I didn't like how high level play became kind of all about uh, all about statistical, mm. like understanding understanding all the matchups and understanding full information and basically calculating. Yeah. The game was, was very much like chess in that it was about calculating and reading moves ahead. Um, and I wanted something that was more about the moment-to-moment play to create a contrast to that. So I started working on Exceed. Exceed uses the same matrix as Battlecon. Range, power, speed, guard. So that matrix is kind of the core of the game. But um, other than that, we kind of scrapped all the other parts of it. The characters are, are much more simplified. They don't have a bunch of different systems and parts. And, and in that sense, we wanted to make it more like a card game that you would play out of a deck. So the philosophy is that the whole game kind of flows out of the deck naturally that the character strategies emerge as you play the game they're not built into the the characters and that the play would be more about moment to moment tactics in Exceed you have a lot of opportunity to adapt to like look at what like my opponent steps in now it's my turn and I can play some cards to kind of move around the field or you know think about how I'm going to react to what he's setting up and then, so I, we set up, we set up, we set up, we set up, until somebody feels like they've got the right moment to make this attack that's going to win. And so they play their attack down, and, um, and we have a, we resolve that Battlecon-style matrix. And the advantages to that are that players can, you know, can, can, set, can set up, can adapt, and can even call each other's bluff in a way that uh, is, is not so readily apparent in a full information game. Uh anyway, it took about from starting with BattleCon, it took about 20 versions to get Exceed in this place that I wanted it to be. So it was a it was about a 2 year, one one and a half to 2 year trip to get that game into a workable condition. So even when you have a good matrix, it can still be a lot of work to to get the game together.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think taking a game from good to great is such a difficult thing because there's so many good games out there. That if they'd had another year year and a half of development could have been amazing could have been great but that's a lot of work um people talk about you know when you when you're at that ninety percent mark that extra ten percent to get at the game to greatness is it takes forever when you're going through all the that they
2: say uh, yeah after after the first ninety percent you've got another ninety percent <laughs> right <laughs> that's, uh, absolutely that's that's how they, how it goes and it's it's true though yeah. like my latest game that I'm working on is I'm on version thirty eight of that wow. And it's been yeah it's been like a year and a half two year slog to to put it together but I'm really happy with the system now and I know that when players play it they're gonna be like wow this is really great
1: yeah. and
2: I think that's that makes it worth it to me to put in all the extra effort
1: oh absolutely that's the thing when it hits the table and you get that feedback all the years or whatever you know how long it took it it becomes <laughs> worth it now with exceed I feel like it's this this system is a much more thematic version of a if you're going cuz if if you're, you're going to base a game on a fighting game video game street fighter 2 or whatever then that is more chaotic there's not perfect information really with that because one you don't know like what's going to happen next like is is your friend's finger going to slip as he tries to do that next move and you're going to have an opening like there's so much uh, more chaos with the video game version so i figure or i feel like adding a little bit more unknown into the card game version it just makes more sense thematically
2: uh it can uh, there's 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 two sides to that because okay. in a fighting game, right, all of your moves are available all the time. Right. Right? And so you it's full information of, you know, what you could do at any given moment of the game. And so in that sense, the BattleCon is more is more directly tied to a fighting game because I have access to everything that I can do in in my hands. But at the same time, when you play a move, your opponent does have a window to react. Like if I walk forward, like i can I can see you walking forward and I can do something about that and And that was the kind of of moment that the battlecon system didn't really capture that well. It captured really well like like the moment to moment you know like if you consider the match as like one long combo that everyone's playing through. however, if you consider a match as you know more of a back this back and forth dance between two two uh, combatants, then exceed models that a little bit better um in truth, I'd say. It's probably more if you like board games, you like Battlecon. If you like card games, you like Exceed. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of a feel. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, the, if you come from a Magic background, Exceed uh, feels more natural. If you come from the board games, uh, Battlecon does, um, and they offer different things. Being a board game with full information, like we have crazy characters. We have one character who has a tech tree that they develop throughout the game. Uh, we have another character who like has all these different animal companions they can summon and dismiss. Um, we've got one character that actually creates different battlefields and like warps the battlefield as they play. So like different um, arenas have different effects. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. Whereas in Exceed, because of everything flows out of the deck, your characters are much more tame. They have abilities that can fit on one card. They have uh, maybe one extra card that's that gives them some special power, and that's about it. We try not to make them too. Uh, not to make them too crazy. We want everything to be intuitive to the players without consulting a rule book or an FAQ.
1: Yeah. And for
2: the most part, I think that uh, that philosophy makes the game a lot more accessible.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so when you were making the game, and let's let's talk about these 20 other versions, right? were you thinking, okay, we want this to be more accessible? We want this to be for a, a slightly different demographic than BattleCon was for?
2: I was really, when I started, I was really thinking of it as a, just a direct sequel. Mm-hmm. I wasn't planning to do the third and fourth Battlecon games that have come out since then. However, I've kind of uh, accepted that the two games are going to have their own separate identities. Yeah. And um, and I think that right now we're working on Battlecon Online, which I would think is the superior way to play, because um, you because the game manages all the rules and all mm-hmm. the triggers and timings and stuff for you and everything like that. Whereas with Exceed, since we have licensed characters in a bunch of our different seasons, the um, it'll never have a digital version, because we couldn't use some of these characters in uh, in a video game. Right. It's uh, due to licensing restrictions. So anyway, so I think that that exceed will live on in the card game realm, and Battlecom will live on in the digital realm. Digital realm. And and I think that's I think that's fine. I think it's it's good that we continue to separate the identities of the two games, uh, even more and also battlecon's got like 100 fighters now. Mm-hmm. I I think it's time to like let the fans make the future fighters. I don't <laughs> right. need to make any more official fighters. Tournament mm-hmm. meta is already uh, is already pretty crazy as it is.
1: Yeah, definitely. And let's let's talk about that real quick. What is the what did the process look like for creating all those different, you know, different mechanisms, different things going on with the different fighters? Like how how did you approach creating new people?
2: Uh, so with with Battlecon, I actually looked at different board games that I enjoyed. I looked at um, game mechanics in other games, and I said, "Oh, well, like worker placement. Um, well, I could do something like that. So I'll make the zombie guy, and he places all these workers down on the board. And every time your opponent moves onto the space that you control, you know, you t- they take damage. And like area control. Well, I can make an area control character. They put down turrets, and whenever you step into the area control by the turret, you know, they zap you, or you get some kind of bonus." Um, you know those sorts of mechanics. Like obviously the tech tree character is is definitely inspired by board games. So I went for for those kinds of mechanics. Um, and sometimes I looked at thematics too. Obviously we've got like an elemental guy who uses the the four elements kind of avatar style. Um, we've got a character who is a poison character, and every time they hit you, you lose cards out of your hand. Um, sort of that reductive style. So it's kind of just wherever inspiration strikes. Yeah. You can you can come up with a character there. And often it's just being – it's just about being literate of the genres, of the tropes, and of the mechanics that are available to you and just integrating all those different tools into creating cool character designs.
1: Yeah, very cool. And then – all right, so let's let's take a step back. The 20-ish versions, what did those different versions look like? Like how different was version 2 compared to version 3 and that kind of thing? they tend to be
2: i tend to call it a new version every time i have to reprint the cards for the game um or every time i have to rewrite the rule book in a major way Mm -hmm. if i can just add a footnote and write it onto the cards then it's you know it's like 2.1 or 2.2 or 2.3 when i have to say all right we're gonna try adding a new stat or adding a new timing trigger or adding a new you know, like. like changing the, the 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 way the game works. Now there's like two axes instead of one. Now it's going to go like vertical versus just on the, on the flat plane. So, you know, big changes, we change versions. So yeah, like 20 big changes between the two games.
1: Gotcha. You mind talking about some of the big changes or maybe some of the things that you're excited about? You're like, yes, this is going to be great and it just didn't work for whatever reason?
2: Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the development, I imagined that it was going to, I was going to make a, more interesting game by making it more complex. Hmm. And so I added quite a lot of things. Like characters had like a token pool and a power bar and they had like cards that were all the different mechanics in the game, like a, like a burst, uh, if you played fighting games, like a V skill, you know, all these different kinds of cards and you just kind of had this dashboard of like 30 cards in front of you that you could use at any time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of kind of wild and i i eventually like started cutting down and consolidating and turning like all those mechanics into single like you know merging two cards into one or merging you know these cards into into those and taking this whole set of cards and putting it on the bottom half of those cards and it kind of like con- condensed down and condensed down and condensed down until it was all in one deck and that's when we said we said okay this is actually Kind of cool. Let's mm-hmm. let's like have the game play out of one deck. It reminds me of when I played Magic in high school, where I could just carry the deck around in my pocket and say like, "Hey, let's battle." Um, so that was so. Ultimately, I I, re- I realized that the complexity and depth of the game, or the depth of the game, was not going to come from complexity, but it was going to come from the um, the uh, depth of tactics that were available to the players through the cards. So we came up with a bunch of all those different subsystems that we had, we turned them into the basic games tactics. You know, you're allowed to move, you're allowed to change your cards, you're allowed to um, you know, get get cards into your power bar, which is just a second discard pile that you can discard to your discard for power. And so those mechanics like smoothed down in a in a much cleaner way. And we kind of just made uh, made some rules for the design. I guess would be the best way to put it. We made, it, made rules for like, this is, how, this is the roof of complexity. These are the, the limits of components that we're going to let any character have. And by following those rules, we managed to strip the game and streamline the game down to its present state.
1: Gotcha. So it was really just a big process of consolidation.
2: In a lot of cases, good design is about uh, is about reduction yeah. and not about expansion.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's one thing I've learned. Like when I first start designing a game, I tend to throw every idea I have into it and then development and, and design and playtest and all that is just a long process of going, yeah, that doesn't work the way I want it to. Kill that, cut that, get rid of that, combine those things. And eventually I get down to like, 10% of my original design. I'm like, yeah, okay, I feel good about this. And so it's kind of this, yeah. like, sculpting, you know, take the giant block of marble and just, like, work your way down to the toothpick kind of thing.
2: Yeah. And, so, well, since all that, one of the things that I've discovered is that having a roadmap at the very beginning, yeah, like, writing down those restrictions, understanding what this game is going to be from the very start is the important thing. Like, um, in, in some games, uh, even recent games, I don't even know kind of what i'm trying to do until i get halfway through project and then i'm like like is this going to be a legacy game or not <laughs> well that's the kind of thing that you really have to know before you get started yeah. you know is this going to be like two players or three or five well that's the kind of thing that you you gotta you gotta stick to you can't really change that during development mm-hmm. if you do you're going to change the entire game
1: Yeah, or it's going to feel like super tacked on, like, oh, this wasn't supposed to be three players, was it? This is a two-player game. You added a third-player concept. Yeah. Yeah, right. I've talked to some designers that say what they do is they they start off with, like, a vision statement for the game. They'll, like, write Mm -hmm. out a couple sentences and say, this is what I want the experience to be, two to three, you know, two to four players, whatever. And that gives them a great decision filter by which to make all other absolutely. design choices, and they can just kind of pass it through that filter. Go well. Does it point back to the vision or not? Okay, that makes my decision for me. And I think yeah, that's a really good way to start. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's absolutely right, and it's something that I've that I've started doing for my own projects as well.
1: Yeah. Now, what does playtesting look like for one of these games? Because I mean, there's so many different combinations and variables, and you know, when mm-hmm. when this fighter goes against this certain fighter, and what happens in like, what does your playtesting process look like?
2: So with playtesting. Uh, obviously, there's two parts of this, right? There's the there's play testing the system,
1: right? Then
2: there is concepting for content, which we'd call like development, right? And then there is uh, testing for integrity, which is the balance part, right? So at the very end, like t- uh, play testing, or what I call like the design portion. In design, we are just trying to get the game right. We don't really care if the characters are good or not. We mm-hmm. want to know that the core mechanics are in, are in place and that they work really good, that that matrix is solid, that um, there's enough depth and possibility that you can see the potential of this system. And if players are sitting down and having fun and enjoying the, the, the system... Independent of the characters, which may be kind of weak sauce at the at the beginning, then that's fine. You know, we make some generic characters, we play the game. Those the, the game system shows potential, and so then we say, okay, well let's move on to development. And then in development, we come up with concepts for all the different characters and you know unique mechanics for the characters and rules for how they're going to work and kind of how they individually play. And we playtest those in in house with a very small group of testers just to make sure that they're fun. Like, we were looking for the fun factor. We're looking for the playability of these of the content. You know, make sure that each, each fighter has its own unique identity, that they are fun to play and that they're fun to play against, and that, uh, you know, if it's like a cooperative game that each boss has feels distinct and unique and makes an interesting encounter. And then once we have that part, finished, the development part, then we move on to the balance where we actually release the game to a large pool of testers. We start collecting statistical data, seeing oh well these characters just can't seem to keep up with these other characters. So that uh, so we need to rebalance these guys, or you know a large group of people are still thinking oh maybe that's not quite uh, maybe they're not enjoying this matchup or this group of matchups very much. So maybe we take this character back design and change their abilities so that they're more interesting to fight against or with. So so it's kind of that three stage process and. Even then, I think there's probably a fourth stage, which is rebalancing, because even as much balance as you do, you're never going to truly understand a game until you've released it into the wild. Yeah. And you can't really balance a game until you've got a tournament scene,
1: right? right? Because <laughs> People are figuring out how to break because, it.
2: <laughs> yeah, because yeah. no matter how much playtesting you do, somebody is going to, once competition's on the line, somebody is going to figure out um, a way to, to break the game. And so rebalancing is something that we're doing now for a lot of the fighters in BattleCon as we prepare to release um, the new remastered edition and the final expansion Wanderers for BattleCon. So we're gonna like we're gonna release like the big all in everything final collector's box plus final expansion for BattleCon in probably the next year and a half or so. Yeah. So we're working heavily on getting the balance really tight for that.
1: Right. Very cool. And I guess ultimately like with a lot of games, it's not necessarily about balance; it's about perception of balance. Do the players feel like it's balanced? But with this kind of stuff, it really needs to be balanced because you're tournament, you got tournaments, and you got prize money yeah. potentially and that kind of thing. So you can't just like hope that the perception is good. Like it actually has to be balanced. And I think that's another big difference between like these head-to-head dueling yeah. kind of games versus some, you know, the other 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 types.
2: Yeah. No, I, th- I think that there is some caution to be said for like overbalancing that's because. True. The best way, the easiest way, I guess I'd say the, the laziest way to balance, is to pull, is to reduce your matrix, yeah. right? To give the player, to make the choices more uniform or more controlled. And so, but if you do that, you you risk reducing your your matrix back down to, you know, to advanced rock paper scissors, or even regular rock paper scissors, or even a coin flip if everybody's perfectly balanced, because the coin flip is the only perfectly balanced game. Yeah. Ultimately, or rather, rather those only those atomic matrices can truly be balanced um, perfectly. Anyway, it's not good. It's so I guess what I'm saying is it's not good to overbalance, but you want to make sure that the the game is fair to all the players involved.
1: Right now, but I guess let me, let's, let me ask you about this. Balance doesn't necessarily mean 50-50, right? Because you can have one character that works really well against another, and that and it'd still be a balanced game overall, uh, but just. With that kind of thing. So talk to me about that, because you're not making every single character good against every single character, right? Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that just well, with, with match match-ups, Yeah. yeah, with matchups,
2: you, you really strive for a 60-40, which means that if these two characters meet, one of them will win six times, one of them will win four times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 50-50 is ideal. Um, in a skill-based game, so first off, like philosophy, in a skill-based game, players of equal skill should win equal times, regardless of the characters they select right now obviously matchups do skew that a bit you know you choose a character this character has range this other character's not as good at, against range characters and so you have uh, some matchup disparity so you just have to try and keep that within a reasonable level players will accept a 64 a couple of 60 40 matchups if you've got like 7 and 3 that's problematic 8 and 2 you really need to fix this like we've uh, in the early Battlecon games, we uh, we didn't qu- take quite enough time in the uh, in the balance stage, and because we had to we had deadlines to 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 meet for production, and so we ended up having a few matches that were actually like this character is is just not beatable in a lot of matchups, or this character is not able to win in a bunch of other matchups. Thankfully, we're we're rebalancing that and rebuilding those characters now, but uh, it is something that I look back on and I'm like, well. We could have done that a bit better. Um, that said, the more characters you have, the more advanced your techniques have to be. Yeah. So, um, using you know wherever you can, using mathematics like AIs or even just statistical analysis to compare the cards of the of the characters, to make sure that they're you know approximately on the same level. Getting a bunch of players to record matches so that you can see what's happening. And this is one point where Battlecon Online is really helping us out because obviously every match is recorded really? and we have a huge statistical pool now to use in balancing our characters. The characters that might – balancing decisions that might have taken us um, years to make in the physical version only take a few months because we can look and say, oh, well, this guy you know, wins 70% of matches. Maybe we just give him like minus one power on a couple of these attacks and see how that goes yeah as opposed to you know with physical release, you have to print up more cards and distribute them across the world to everybody. It's much more difficult to make these fine tune fine finely tuned changes.
1: yeah, with the digital, you can just update it right now. You can go into the code, change yeah. the numbers a little bit, and it's immediately updated as opposed to cardboard or you know with cards and you have to wait for the boat and the printing and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah. so if you are doing a like heads up card game where you have to do this kind of ma- matchup balancing, uh creating some kind of digital version is really important, whether it's just tabletop simulator or whether you can do something a little more advanced uh, if you have the time and energy and money for that. Uh, I think these days to get your balance in a good situation, uh, it's almost mandatory that you have some kind of digital way to play the game.
1: Yeah. Now, when you're doing the balancing, do you have just a bunch of spreadsheets and like the actual math and the numbers that you're comparing and looking at? Or how do you like what's your process of balancing?
2: so um i'm not very good at balancing so my process is actually to hire someone better than me to do the balancing <laughs> for me Fair enough. this is this is what i've learned after five years of doing these kind of games i am really cool really good at making the concepts for characters and making characters that feel very different mm-hmm. uh once it comes to like play that character 50 times and make sure that they're in the right space numbers wise uh my eyes just kind of glaze over and i fall asleep mm-hmm. so um uh, so i've got better people than me working on that side of things and uh i think that's probably the best decision i ever made was to empower the fans who are you know the the fans who are really into this kind of statistical balance cuz when you make a competitive game players will emerge that want to play it competitively yeah. and they'll and of those players will emerge who will do statistical analysis who who care enough to really delve into the intricacies of the system and um elevating those players to an official status where they can help you to shoulder that part of the game, which is really too big for any one person to handle. Right. Um, that is a big, that is a, a huge help in making a game that has more integrity to it. And it's the big difference between our more recent offerings, which have been much more balanced versus our original offerings, which were just, you know, me and four guys getting together on Tuesday and Thursday to play, you know, five hands of the game and then make some notes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think so. when you can build up a community and then empower that community to help you in the development process, games get so much better just because you have so many more eyes on it and so many more plays, uh, and it just goes a long way. Now, do you have any kind of system where you say, okay, we need to," you need to play this many hours, this many playtests before we know that we're on the right track? Or, like, do you have any kind of system for that playtesting, or is it just kind of a gut feeling?
2: So I have one, one, uh, one member of our community who is – like who who is paid to coordinate the rest of the community members, and he sets the agenda. He says like, look guys, I really need all of us to play this, you know, this number of times. Um, I need to get some numbers on this guy, and you know, like can. And he gets everybody together, and he gets them to, to play the game, and he records all the results, and boils them down, and then makes a change log, and then um, our production guys go and we change all the cards, and we create a new digital version so that everybody can play it again online with the, the new changes. And um, you know, for the players that help out, we reward them with point, like just the like the ordinary playtesting side of things. We reward them with points from our organized play program, which get you you know basically all the cool swag mm-hmm. for playing the game. So extra costumes for the characters, or you know, um, bonus stuff. We sent out play mats one time. We uh, you know different things like that. We're always looking for new things to give out to the people that help us do our playtesting or who get involved in the community. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, very cool, man. All right, let's switch gears a bit, and let's talk about Pixel Tactics. And kind of, you know, we talk about BattleCon and Exceed, and those are a certain style, but mm-hmm. Pixel Tactics, similar but different. So tell me a little bit about the design of that one, and let's talk, you know, pros, not pros and cons, but like similarities and differences between it and, and the more traditional, like, fighting games.
2: Okay, so Pixel Tactics is more in that other side arena where you control a lot of different characters. And so it's more about... Taking Instead of having one solid uh, set of abilities and using that ability set to take out your opponent, like in the more dueling type games, this one is you have a deck and that deck is full of different abilities and you have to choose how to use each one of these things in a grander strategy. So the abilities themselves, the cards themselves, are interchangeable and more flexible, kind of like a CCG or LCG. And it's up to you to build a strategy out of these different tools. Rather than taking a strategy and driving it, you are you know, uh, building the strategy from your toolbox. And in Pixel Tactics, this all kind of starts with your leader. You pick one leader, and that leader has one big ability that affects everybody in your unit. That then will inform all of your decisions about, well, who do I want to put in the front line? Who do I want to put in my back lines? Every character, based on where you place them, in either the front or the supporting uh, area or the back, they are going to have different abilities, um, either usually frontline, shock troop type abilities, support abilities and healing, or artillery utility type effects in the front, middle, or back. And your goal is to destroy the enemy leader. To do that, you have to get through their front lines, you have to be able to apply damage to, to their leader, and you have to fend off their attempts to uh, destroy your leader first. And so um, anyway, that's pretty much the long and short of it. You you have a lot of effects. You're figuring out how to place these down into your board to accomplish your specific goal. And it's the same in Magic or any other uh, card-type game, where the cards can be moved in and out of your deck.
1: Yeah, and so what were the challenges in in this style of game? In this style of game... Like, compared the, to Battlecon, like what were some of the bigger differences or challenges?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the difference... The, the challenge is definitely more in the power level of individual cards. When you're making a game with closed kits, like in Battlecon, a fighter has their deck, mm-hmm. and that's all they get. And so I can say, well, this card's a little more powerful, this card's a little less powerful, that's okay. But in a game like Pixel Tactics, uh, every card is... It, it's its own closed system. So this card you can put it in your deck and it's going to do this stuff. If it is like a kill spell, well, if there's like 10 of those in the game, then you could just load your entire deck up with kill spells and then you your opponent won't be able to play. So every card has to be considered together with every other card. It's a much more difficult game to balance. And we certainly felt that um, with Pixel Tactics. That's why we don't allow constructed tournament play. We have draft tournaments. Hmm. Because when you can construct a, game, a deck of Pixel Tactics, because all the effects are so crazy powerful uh, you can build some really ridiculous stuff but the tuning the power level of the cards and thinking about how each card affects each other card is really important so i uh, i definitely i definitely feel some sympathy for the guys that have to design magic around yeah. like vintage magic with 8000 10000 cards in circulation
1: yeah definitely and i um, mean I, who knows how long the band the band card list is in magic i mean just so many cards that they've had to go oh, this is not going to work and they just take stuff out but yeah,
2: it's it's surprising that they don't have more.
1: Mm, honestly, right?
2: Like it's surprising that they are not banning cards left and right all the time. Because if you look at Yu-Gi-Oh, like Yu-Gi-Oh, just like all the cards are different or banned or eroded or everything. Mm-hmm. There's n- almost at the older sets. There's almost no card that does what it says printed on the card <laughs> of any consequence anyway. Right? Any power card has been changed or nerfed or limited or banned. Uh, very few are still uh, still. Played as they're printed.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, any other thoughts on this style, the more pixel tactic style of game? As far as basically, like, what would what advice would you give someone who's working on one of these kinds of games, where maybe you have a leader and other you know other cards going on, where you can add to your deck? And then I'll ask you some other advice as far as like the Battlecon style in a second. But for pixel tactic style, what advice would you give somebody?
2: I would say definitely incorporate some kind of resource system into your game. In pixel tactics, the only resource is actions. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to make a card more, like to balance a card stronger than other cards, is to do more, um, is to make it cost more actions, of which you only have two. So a card is either zero, one, or two actions. There's not a lot of room for balance, uh, for balancing in that game. So create some kind of resource system. I know that seems obvious, but Pixel Tactics was originally designed as a like one talk box, you know. Like, I battle against you, and it's there was not meant to be expansions. Yeah. The only reason we ended up with expansions because the game was so popular. And so there's there's only... So we limited our design space a lot in the initial game, thinking that it was going to just be a one-and-done title. So I would say plan for the future <laughs> if you design a game like this. Don't plan too much for the future, right? Like, I knew PixPack was not going to be the next Magic, and I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I designed it to be something that players did not have to... You know, learn a lot of intricate rules for. At the same time, I could have put in a few more balancing mechanisms to make the game more future-proof.
1: Yeah, that's so. a good point. Now, did your idea for that one come from Final Fantasy Tactics? Did you play that and go, "Hey, this needs to be a board game"?
2: Uh, yes, although it's actually more closely based on Soul Nomad, which is a Nippon Ichi title. Okay. Um, another SRPG, which is a little more modern than Final Fantasy Tactics, but yeah, it's that SRPG style gameplay. I said, oh, I'll do that. I can do a game like that. Um, Actually, the artist, Fabio, made the pixel characters on a whim because he also does pixel art. He's like, hey, I made pixel art of all the guys in Battlecon. And I was like, I can make a game with that art. And so we did. (laughs) We did. And it was was really fun. Mm -hmm. It was neat to, to capture that. It took a lot of work to get Pixel Tactics right it was originally more like rts styled where you had to harvest resources and build up your your technologies to play different units eventually we just went for like you know play all the units because that was what people really wanted to do right and again cut cutting out cutting 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 yeah, yeah until you get to the fun part and then iterating that uh, as hard as you can so so that's what where pixel tactics ended up coming from yeah i would say though that those kind of games those kind of games where you can change your deck they are, they are much more than the sum of their parts. Hmm. Magic is a lot more than 10,000 cards. Right. It's got a culture. It's got a tournament scene. It's got installed fan base. There are things that you have to have to, to do something like that. Like Fantasy Flight can release an LCG because they have a huge player base that's going to play anything they make, pretty much. Um, I am still not even confident in my ability to release an LCG type game like a, a, a collectible you know um over type game because a i think that the balance team is still already stretched thin with just battlecon and exceed yeah. and um so we need to build up our balance processes even more and b you kind of have to have you know five to ten thousand people that are just going to play it no matter what and I think that we're getting closer and closer to that kind of fan base, but we're still not there entirely. I still need to build up a bit more before I could dare to take on that genre. So consider when I'd say, when thinking about the game you want to make, consider the genre that you're building in. If you want to make a game that won't intimidate people away, because the same thing, like if you like this game has a big culture behind it, it's got a bunch of people behind it. If players know that your game is not that big, but that it requires that investment, like a big game, they'll just play a big game instead. It'll actually scare people away rather than, rather than drawing them in. And I've seen this in a lot of these kinds of uh, two-player, you know, uh, big group games. Is that uh, well? Here's a, a good example. There's a game called uh, Terran Odyssey by a company called CGC Games, and this was one of those kind of games. It's a dueling game. It's really heavy. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's like a Final Fantasy combat type game and i played the original turn odyssey i really liked it but i knew that it was probably not going to catch on because it required so much knowledge of the game system to play it you had to you had to be as good at that game as you to play it as to you would need to be to build a magic deck mm. right and those of us who built magic decks were like yeah what's so tough about that but if you've never played a game to build a deck of magic uh is a pretty daunting affair like you don't like how many lands do you even put in to start right. off with what color balance etc cetera, etc cetera. there's all these considerations to get to that level is already a massive investment of time but these kind of games do sort of expect you to be at that level anyway so going back to to taran odyssey i was like this this is this is a really cool system but it's not i don't think it's going to catch on because of all that and the designer came back to me and because uh and it, it became a friend of mine over the course of like many interactions, and he said, "Well, we want to do, we really want to do a Terran Odyssey that everyone can play." And I said, "Well, what you need to do is make it a closed box system where things are fixed, where the players don't need to know any cards before they get started." And they said, um, "Okay, we'll do that." And they took about two years and continu- and developed and developed and developed and developed, and eventually we ended up with Temporal Odyssey, which is one that we published through through them. So them as the studio, us as the publisher, we published Temporal Odyssey, which is the spiritual successor to Terran Odyssey. And now when you, when you open up the game, you pick a character, that character comes with a kit, and then there's a, a board of cards. And um, as you play, you'll get new cards one at a time from a small selection of about three that you can pick. And you'll say, okay, well, I, I can look at these three cards, I can figure out which one works immediately for my strategy, integrate it into my hand, and now start playing it. And so in that way, we eliminated all of the overhead for the game but still kept the core battle system intact um, and also eliminated the idea that, hey, you're going to have to buy boxes 3 and 4 and 5 yeah. to get the full experience or to keep up with the meta. You know, you know you've know you got this closed system. between In one game between two players, you're seeing all the possibilities of that game. There's some modularity. You can change up your timeline to, uh, you know, to get new cards in play, to change the way that matches play out. So there's a lot of modularity, but the game itself is a closed system that you don't have to understand what's happening outside in order to just enjoy a game. I could set up a game and play it and teach it to you, and you wouldn't have to know anything else except how creatures come down on the field and fight with each other
1: right and that gets again back into the accessibility and just making your game accessible if that lines mm-hmm. up with your vision for the game now you might want to make this like crazy deep complicated thing but just if you don't have the fan base to back it up it's going to be a real hard thing
2: it's it's fun to make those kind of games yeah. just understand that you can you can chase as many people away with right. a big game as you can draw them in
1: yeah definitely uh, now, any advice for somebody working on a game that's more similar to Battlecon, where it's kind of the you know that one deck of cards or you know these certain fighters, that kind of thing? What would you tell those people?
2: Kind of to reiterate what we talked about earlier: focus on the matrix, okay. focus on the system, make sure that interesting play exists even with very simple characters. And once two simple characters can have interesting play, then start working on more exciting characters. But if you play the game and You say, "Oh, well, it'll be good once I have characters." No, like go back and work on it some more. Like play it, make it good, make it good with training dummies, and then go for the uh, go for exciting characters, and um, make make your characters really exciting. Like do some crazy stuff. People want to see something something wild in this genre. Yeah,
1: especially now because there's been so many. Like there's just it's hard to make original characters now. Yeah,
2: well, if you got if you got a good system. Then your characters will feel original mm. because system will the system will create an experience that's different than other systems,
1: yeah, gotcha. Well, Brad, awesome man. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. We're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about how to build a game company. Brad's done an amazing job the last five years with Level Ninety Nine Games, and has just has gone from one game into an entire just selection of really great games. So I want to get his ideas and thoughts and opinions and advice on how to build a company from zero to hero, so to speak. But anyway, Brad, again, thanks for your time and good luck with everything you got going on right now.
0: Thank you guys for hearing me out. Thanks for listening.